Hello, welcome and thank you for joining us for this service on 30th of January 2022. May God bless you as you share this worship with us today. Together with those who are meeting at Little Sutton Church and those who are reading this service at home. May we all know God's blessing. Here's a Sabbath day prayer. May this day bring Sabbath rest to my heart and home. May God's image in me be restored and my imagination in God be restoried. May the gravity of material things be lightened and the relativity of time slow down. May I know grace to embrace my own finite smallness in the arms of God's infinite greatness. May God's word feed me and his spirit lead me into the weak and into the life to come. Amen. Now come, let's sing of the wonderful love of God. Oh 
Here's our first reading for today. Last week, we heard how Jesus announced his mission in the synagogue. Here's what happened next. He began by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son? they asked. Jesus said to them, Surely you will quote this proverb to me, Physician, heal yourself. And you will tell me, Do hear in your hometown what we have heard that you did in Capernaum. Truly I tell you, he continued, No prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time, when the sky was shut for three and a half years, and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zephath, in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy at the time of Elisha the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of town and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way.
Today we'll be thinking about love, as we will hear in our next reading. It takes me right back to the 60s, the decade of love and flower people. I was reminded of a beautiful song from almost 50 years ago. To those of my generation, Barry Maguire is remembered for an apocalyptic folk song called Eve of Destruction where he recounted all the evils of the society that he was living in, in the 60s. It knocked the Beatles off the number one spot in America. Barry Maguire became a Christian in 1971 after meeting Arthur Blessett. Is that a name you remember, the Jesus people? And he spent the rest of his life singing and performing as a Christian. This song is from his first album, Seeds, and I think it beautifully expresses something of what true love is. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart with all thy soul with all thy mind and all thy strength And love thy neighbor as thyself. Well, love is gentle, love is kind. And love is given, but it's not blind. Love is choosing for the right Rejecting the wrong Thou shalt love the Lord thy God With all thy heart With all thy soul With all thy mind Well, love is keeping his commands Greater love hath no
Well, love is quiet, love is strong And love is patient, suffering long Where love lives, there is no If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonour others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, that is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three things remain, faith, hope and love. But the greatest of these is love. As you listen to that reading, I wonder if, like me, you found yourself looking round for the bride and groom. 
It's a passage we hear at many weddings. Love, of course, is central to the marriage relationship. And in particular, those verses from verses four to eight, love is, love is not, give us a very clear picture of love as a very practical exercise. Weddings are a time to celebrate romance and flowers and joyful expectation. But these verses speak more about the way two people will have to work at living together in the years that lie ahead. But I don't think Paul was thinking about marriage in this passage. It comes in the middle of two chapters where he's speaking at length about spiritual gifts. The Corinthian church was a pretty wild place from what we read swinging from extremes of God's powerful presence in all sorts of unmistakable signs and miracles to obvious and dangerous sins of pride and lust at the other, sins which were condoned by the congregation and which Paul castigated them for very severely. Churches are made up of fallible humans and it's not surprising when those fallibilities become obvious. These verses we're looking at today help us to understand how to deal with one another when these instances of pride, selfishness, irritability and resentment rear their heads. But more about that later. In the previous and following chapters, Paul acknowledges that gifts are important and he encourages his readers to seek after them. In this chapter, right at the centre, he focuses on what is more important, what's actually most important, character. Gifts, particularly miraculous spiritual gifts, carry with them excitement, encouragement and real usefulness. But as Paul says in another place, God distributes them as he wills. They are tools for extending the kingdom of God and building up the church. And I sincerely wish and pray that we would see more of them. The heart of the matter for us as individuals before God, though, is character. His focus is not on what we do, but what we are. In verse 11, Paul says, when I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. God wants us to grow up. This echoes what Paul says in many places about God's desire for us to become the people he designed us to be. In Ephesians 4, for example, he talks about the different roles God has put in the church, apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, and says this is their purpose, to train Christ's followers in skilled servant work, working within Christ's body, the church, until we're all moving rhythmically and easily with each other, efficient and graceful in response to God's Son fully mature adults, fully developed within and without, fully alive like Christ. That's from the message translation, which I think sometimes just captures in an exciting way just what these verses mean. 
fully alive like Christ, like Christ, Christ-like. That's our destiny as Christians. All the teaching of the Bible, all the work of pastors and teachers, all the interactions, positive and negative, that we have with others, all the events of our lives, everything is intended by God to make us more like Christ. Here's some more words from the message from Ephesians 4. God wants us to grow up, to know the whole truth and tell it in love, like Christ in everything. We take our lead from Christ, who is the source of everything we do. He keeps us in step with each other. His very breath and blood flow through us, nourishing us so that we will grow up healthy in God, robust in love. How often did we as parents say to our children, why don't you grow up? Actually, maybe we still do say it. When you think about it, it's an impossibility. No one can become an adult just by working at it, scrunching up their faces and saying, be grown up, be grown up. It takes time to learn how to speak and behave in a mature way. But on the other hand, we can resist the process. We can cling on to the ways of childhood, attitudes, desires and habits, which really belong back in the playground. In Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis says this, Every Christian is to become a little Christ. The whole purpose of becoming a Christian is simply nothing else. This is the pathway we enter when we first believe in Christ. This is the goal towards which we strive. Paul writes this in Philippians. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. I want to be like Christ in every aspect of who he is and what he is. This is a process and there's various pictures and metaphors in the Bible that help us to think about this process of becoming more like Jesus. One of them is being refined through suffering, like gold or silver going through the fire. Peter writes about the trials his readers are going through. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. He's echoing the words of the prophet Zechariah, I will refine them like silver and test them like gold. They will call on my name and I will answer them. I will say they are my people and they will say the Lord is our God. Are you suffering? Don't imagine that God's sending it on you as some kind of punishment. But he can and will make use of that suffering to strengthen your faith and refine your character. Maybe prepare you for greater usefulness, 
Joseph is a great example of this. A brash young favourite son, not cautious about sharing his dreams of preeminence. He was sold into slavery by his brothers, falsely accused by the wife of his master, languished for years in jail, 20 years of exile from his family. His verdict when he faced his brothers at last? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Genesis 50. God's purposes are being worked out through suffering, even when that suffering comes about through deliberate acts of evil. A second image is of a growing plant bearing fruit. We see this in the words of Jesus in John 15. He describes God as the gardener who carefully prunes away the unfruitful branches of the vine until it bears much fruit. As we grow older, there are things we can't do anymore, but God continues to encourage the growth of the fruitful parts of our lives, however insignificant they may look to us. Above all, remember, it's not about what we do, it's about what we are. The fruits of the Spirit are not activities or efforts, they're characteristics. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, they're all listed in Galatians 5. These are things that grow in us as we spend time with God and as we truly commit ourselves to Christ. Another picture is of stonemasons. When Solomon's temple was being built, the instruction was that all the stones had to be chiselled and shaped at the quarry and just brought to be fitted together on site. That's been used to illustrate the church. We're all individually crafted stones which together make a perfect building. Here's from 1 Peter again. As you come to him, the living stone rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Those stones need to have the rough edges knocked off and to be carefully shaped. There's an inter interesting programme on at the moment on Channel 4 that we've started to get addicted to, Handmade, Britain's Best Woodworker. In the latest episode, competitors had to carve a statue of an animal. Billy decided to take a three-tonne section of a fallen oak tree and, using a, car a chainsaw, carve it into a lion. The hosts asked him what his plan was, how he was going to approach it. Well, he said, but hang on, let me, sh let me show you what actually happened. Right, where are we? Oh, I'm well excited. Oh, I through. Oh, yeah. 
instinctive woodworker Billy has decided to tackle a great big piece of oak found in the surrounding forest. This is a fallen tree that had fallen over in a storm, so it was dead already. Too heavy for the workshop's floor, Billy's working outside, turning three tons of oak into a primal sculpture. I've always wanted to do a massive, magnificent lion. It's the king of the jungle sort of thing. It's the beast. No more needs to be said. To be top dog or cat in this challenge, Billy will carve his lion freestyle with a chainsaw. He's aiming for realism and to capture its power and majesty. Billy, Hello, right? Billy. So what, what is your process? Well, just remove everything that's not a lion. Great answer. I'm just going to remove the bits that aren't a lion. He saw a lion in that huge lump of wood and he set himself to cut away everything that didn't belong until the lion was revealed. What a great picture of God's intention for us and how he deals with us. So when all the surplus wood and the temporary gifts and activities are cut away and we get down to the basics, what do we find? Paul says, and now these three remain, faith, hope and love. But the greatest of these is love. Let's just pause and think about those three words, savour them roll them around your tongue let them get deep into your heart faith hope love faith my life is held securely by a god who loves me has given jesus to be my savior and to live in and through me i have an endless supply of his grace for every situation my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. Hope. In his first letter, John writes this. Dear friends, now we are children of God and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him. Ah, we'll get to that point where we shall be like Christ, for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. We know that one day when we see Christ, we will be perfected. That's the Christian hope. Not just heaven, a mansion, freedom from suffering, some kind of eternal reward. These are all true things. But the big thing is seeing Christ. Paul says in our passage, for now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. In times of struggle and stress and disillusionment, when we wonder what's going on, 
that great promise that one day we will fully know is worth hanging on to. I suppose we could just sit back and say, well, why make all this effort now? One day we'll be perfect, so why not just wait for that? If we think that way, I'd suggest we don't really know Christ in any real sense. Why would we not want to get as close to his likeness as we can? Why would we not want to release the inner lion? Why would we not want to purify ourselves as he is pure? And that brings us to love, the greatest of the three. It's love that purifies. It's love that's the true mark of God in us. Here's what John says in his first letter again. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. And later on, anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light. And there's nothing in them to make them stumble. Love is the refiner's fire. Love is the sap, the very lifeblood which makes the vine fruitful. Love is the chisel that keeps whittling away until the lion within emerges. Paul gives us a clear picture of what this love looks like in our lives. It's not wishy-washy warm feelings, it's practical. On a public level you see it in the story of the Good Samaritan. I know I should love my neighbour, the inquirer says, but who is my neighbour? Anyone in need, replies Jesus through the famous parable. Whoever you come across who needs your help. But Paul is focused here on the relational, the personal, the day-to-day. -day. What should love look like in my life? Am I living in love? I'm going to try an experiment. You can join in if you have the courage. Pete is patient. Pete is kind. He does not envy. He does not boast. He's not proud. He does not dishonour others. He's not self-seeking. He's not easily angered. He keeps no record of wrongs. Pete does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Pete always protects always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Pete never fails. Hmm, I'm not asking for comments or a vote of confidence, but you see how detailed and personal it, it gets. As I read through that passage with my name attached, each expression brings to mind occasions or personal characteristics which make it hard to actually say those words. Pete is patient. Well, mostly, except that time when... But it would take too long to go through the whole list, and what matters is not that we try and score ourselves from 1 to 10, but that we ask God to reveal our shortcomings to us and ask him to keep chipping away the bits that don't look like a lion. Gifts are great but character is critical. Being called to be a servant of God in any area of kingdom work is a privilege, but an excess of activity doesn't compensate for an absence of purity. May God help us to focus more on being than doing. As we do that, 
the small amount that we are able to offer will be truly valuable and wonderfully fruitful. Amen.
my heart, Lord. Take and seal it, seal it for thy courts above. So let's pray. A prayer of confession. Lord, as we insert our own names into that passage about what love really is, we're reminded of how far short we fall. We're sorry for our impatience, our unkindness, our envy, our boastfulness and pride. We know that we have dishonoured others in our hearts and sometimes in our words. We seek what's best for us and we get angry when we things don't work out. We have great memories when it comes to the ways others have offended or neglected us and we are secretly delighted when we think of the wrongs they have done. We don't protect or trust others. We easily lose hope and we find it hard to persevere. And we really don't want to contemplate all the times and ways in which we failed. But you are the one who does not and will not fail. The work you've begun in us will be completed as we confess our sins and renew our determination to follow your ways. We know that you offer forgiveness and a fresh start through the obedience and death of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. prayer for others. The needs of the world overwhelm us, Lord. Within our small circle we mourn those we've lost. We share the pain of those who are sick, lonely and comfortless. We feel helpless before their suffering. We lift our eyes a little higher and the world crowds in. The hungry, the homeless, the destitute, broken families, wayward children, Mothers unable to provide for those they love. We read and see the news of nations rising up against nations, of the world desecrated and plundered, the rich amassing wealth and wasting it on vanities, while the poor cannot survive. How long, O oh Lord? As you once entered our world to share our suffering and to take our pains and griefs upon yourself, will you not now be merciful towards your world? The hearts of leaders are to you like a river whose course can be changed at will. Change, we pray, the hearts of men and women to do what is right, to show compassion and to seek peace and justice and turn our hearts of stone into hearts of flesh which can weep with those that weep and share what we have with those who have nothing. In Jesus' name, Amen. We're going to end by singing Love Divine. It does make it feel a bit like a wedding ceremony, doesn't it? But this is a hymn that really says, the love of God is what I want in my heart. Make your dwelling in me 
and may I become more and more marked by your love. Love divine, all loves excelling. May your heart be filled with the love of God this week and may that love overflow to those around you. May the divine sculptor continue to chip away at you until the lion inside is revealed. And may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and evermore. Amen. <laughs>